If you want to open up your Bibles with me, we'll turn our attention back to Ecclesiastes. And we are in chapter 5 this morning. Uh, usually, most of the time, I preach out of the New American Standard uh, Bible. That's the one that's like in the, the Bible version that's in the chair in front of you. And, but uh, the reason I like it is because it's a very literal translation from the uh, original languages. Uh, the, only, the only knock on that translation is that sometimes it can be a little bit wooden, a little bit stiff. Uh, and, and when you're preaching out of wisdom literature, out of poetry, a translation that tends to be a little bit wooden isn't awesome. Uh, and so there's been a few places as I've been going through Ecclesiastes where I'm frustrated with the New American Standards translation. And I, and I really like the English Standard Version's uh, take on it instead. So this morning, I'm going to be using the ESV instead of the... New American. So on your phone or your iPad right now, click that little tab at the top and switch from NASB to ESV and you'll be able to follow along with me a little bit easier. Uh, if you have like an old-fashioned Bible, uh, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you'll still follow along fine. Uh, happy Father's Day. Be- being a parent, it can sometimes be difficult, right? Can I get it? an amen out there a little bit? You have to like make these tiny little people happy all the time, and they, they seem to have this never-ending supply of, of wants and frustrations, and, uh, and sometimes no matter what you do, it seems like it's not enough to make them uh, content. Uh, and that's, I think, particularly true when the, our children are younger, and th- they need more, and they want more, and they understand things uh, less. Uh, Sometimes toddlers will throw a tantrum over the the silliest, craziest things, right? And it's a lot of times it's just because they don't, they don't understand things. But because we live in a social media age, uh, when toddlers throw a fit over dumb things, parents have decided it would be cool to put that uh, up on the internet. Uh, and I'm guessing this is mostly a dad activity. I don't know, probably moms too. But there's this thing that you can go find on, on the social media where parents are showing a picture of their kid melting down, crying, and then they explain the reason for their meltdown. Uh, I, I have a few of my favorites that I want to share with you here. Right, uh, here's one. Uh, here's a kid that's, that's throwing a fit because he believes that the microwave ate his lunch. That, that's a reasonable... Like, I don't even feel bad. I'm not even mad. Like, I can see why you'd be sad. I want to eat my lunch. Okay, next one. <laughs> she is distraught because I wouldn't let her play with a bag of dog poop. <laughs> really, that's why you're crying like that. She should be on the internet, really. I think, uh, good dad. Next one. Uh, okay, he's frustrated because I broke his cheese in half. <clears throat> okay, Uh <laughs> Next one. Oh, this is my favorite. Uh, <laughs> this guy's so upset because someone ate all the muffins. It was him. <laughs> you, we've all felt that way before, right? Here's one. Uh, this guy's throwing a fit because he couldn't have all the trains at the museum. Good. Yeah, that's all of these poor, discontented children. They suffer from the same core problem. Uh, They just lack perspective. I I think that's the main thing. They don't fully understand 
what's happening around them. Uh, and, and hopefully as time goes by and they grow and they mature and they learn some things, they'll realize just how silly that kind of tantrum is and they won't keep acting that way. Uh, but until then, it's the parent's job to say, no, no, you, you can't play with a bag of dog poop. I don't care how much you cry. Uh, no, you can't have all of the trains in this train museum. That's not even possible. No, just, just relax and enjoy what you have. I, I wonder if God sometimes looks down on us as his children and sees this. Uh, spoiled little people who lack perspective and seem to always be throwing a tantrum about something that they think they want or that they think they need. And he's just patiently trying to get us to mature a little and to gain a little bit of perspective. No, no, you can't. You can't keep playing with worthless, harmful things like bags of dog poop that you think are so great. No, you can't have those things. No, you can't have everything that you see that you think that you want. No, just calm down a little bit down there, guys. Chill out. We are like spoiled children who have so much, but we want more. Even when we don't really know why we want more, we still want more. Even when the things that we think that we want so badly are harmful, they're not even good things, we still want them because we want them. And, and we, when we don't get the things that we, that we think we want, we, we pout and we mope and we cry and we flail around in a discontented way. And here, this, this poetic sermon, Ecclesiastes, is designed to help us mature and grow and gain some perspective. It's, it's given to force us to see just how meaningless most of the things that we pursue and that we desire and that we want, just, just how worthless those things really are. It's here to challenge us to live a life of peace and contentment and joy with our Heavenly Father. Ecclesiastes uh, uses the word vanity, meaningless, a lot of times, right? But this is not a sermon about meaninglessness in life. This is a sermon that is all about how we acquire true meaning and true value in this life. And, and at the center of it all, the core of it all, the heart of the argument is found right here, right in the middle of the book. And it's, and it's all about this life of contentment. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. This is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. What advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? 
Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And so here we find a restatement of this, really a, a summary of what he's been teaching, what he's been saying all throughout this sermon already, that there is this insane striving for wealth. And instead, the preacher encourages us to be content with the money that we have and not to view it as our whole reason for living. We cannot let it become our God because wealth will destroy us. And wealth destroys us in a couple of ways. And he mentions a couple of different ways that it harms us in this text right here. The, the first way is that being discontent with money, being greedy, makes us horrible people. Verse 8, it says, if you see oppression of the poor, if you see denial of justice, don't be shocked. Why? Because you have these shareholders who only care about the bottom line. And, and they're going to put pressure on management to see better returns. And those managers are going to put pressure on the workers to make sure that things are working like they need to. And, and, if, and if those workers won't work harder or better and increase the profits, then they'll be replaced by somebody else who can. That's the system there, and I don't think it's that different now. It's, it's, it's no it shouldn't be a surprise to us that there is evil and oppression in a world that seems to run off of this kind of greed. And, and, and if you and I are people who love money, there's a really good chance that it will make us into this kind of person. The kind of person who, who uses people and loves things. That's backwards, right? We're supposed to love people and use the things that God gives us. This is something we got to be careful of. You and I have to be careful of. Paul writes uh, to, to Timothy about people, Christian people, people who should know better, who have fallen into this same trap of loving money. 1 Timothy 6.9, he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. The foolish pursuit of money will harm us. It'll harm us spiritually. It'll make us into greedy, selfish, horrible people. But it also harms us emotionally. Ecclesiastes 5.10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. There's this lie that if we had enough money, it would take away all of our worries and concerns. Right? And I think all of us, to some extent, believe it. Like, we don't need a ton of money. We don't need billions of dollars. That seems like it would just be too much work. More than like 100000 I can't even pay my mortgage off with that. Like, somewhere in the millions. If I just had some, I don't want to be greedy. Somewhere in the millions, then I could rest. 
But money instead causes us all of this mental anguish. We worry about it. Constantly uh, arguing about money tops the lists of of reasons why couples divorce. And it's always the same. It's just not enough of it. The preacher tells us here, though, that the person who loves money, for that person, there will never be enough of it. No matter how much there is, it'll never be enough. It's not possible to be content with what they have. Oh, man, imagine that. Not not being able to be content. It being impossible for us to be content. That sounds miserable. Always wanting more, always needing more, always having to sustain what you have, and always worrying and fighting and arguing and stressing out because we've overspent the little that we do have, and now we need, we need more to cover. And, and this sermon was preached a long, long time ago, but like he says, there is nothing new under the sun. This applies to us today. In light of what he says here, let me suggest this. If, if you're not able to find rest, peace, contentment, especially in this area of, of money and material things, I think that means that there's a very good chance that you love money. We got we to gotta check our, our hearts on this one. So much mental and emotional anguish comes from the fact that we just don't know how to be content with what we have. Money's going to harm us spiritually. It's going to harm us emotionally. It even harms us physically, he says. Verse 12, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Greed is physically harmful to us. Right? Ulcers and lack of sleep and lack of rest and lack of peace. Oh, what a grievous evil. Hoarding the, the very thing that is killing us. He's, he's seen it. The preacher said, I've seen this happen. I think we've seen it. I think we uh, have people in our minds that we've seen that have acted this way. We think that the money is the cure, but it's, it's the disease. Contentment is the cure. I, I love what he has to say. The sleep of the working man is pleasant. Whether he eats literal or much, whether he has a lot or a little, that doesn't matter because he's content with what God's given him. He's content with his lot in life. It's not about the amount that we have. It's the way we view our money and the way we use our money that grants us peace. Preacher goes on here to talk more about work and for sure there's a connection between being content with our wealth and being content in our work. Look what he says at verse 14. Those riches, they were lost in a bad venture, and he's a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. He came from his mother's womb, and he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. 
This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. What gain is there for him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun for the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Toil. That word, that word toil is used like four different times just in those few verses that I read there. And, and usually that's not a happy word, right? That's, it's a word that makes us think of work like hard work. And work is hard. It's harder than it should be. That's one of, the, one of the curses of the fall. But I think work is harder for us, not just because uh, there's weeds that we have to deal with now, and there's drought, and there's... But I, I think it's harder because there is this sinful, selfish ambition And this discontentment that prevents us from being able to enjoy our work and be content with our life. And here, the preacher is cautioning us not to slip into an unhealthy and dangerous view of work. Because a a discontentment in our work is just as dangerous as discontentment with money. And and we got to actively fight against some of this this creeping discontentment that's going to come in to our jobs or or a, a misplaced value that we will sometimes place on our work. The preacher says here, listen, it is good, it is fitting for us to eat and drink and find enjoyment in our toil with which we work under the sun. Enjoy your work, even your hard work as a gift from God. And that's a different way of thinking about work, right? I mean, I know some of you are thinking about your job right now, and I don't often view it as a gift from God. Uh, a curse from Satan, maybe, sometimes, but not. I, I think that's what he's saying. That that ability to enjoy your work as a gift from God is a blessing of God. The ability to enjoy work is a gift from God. And some people, uh, they, they end up on these different extremes. Some, they, they worship it, right? They worship work and they find all their significance in what they do. I think that's a grave danger for, for anybody. I know that's certainly a, a job hazard for, for people like me in the ministry, because I've, I've known pastors who they just put all of their value and their identity and their meaning and their job and that some that are well past the age of retirement but, but can't let go because that's who they are. Some who have, who have uh, harmed their families because they, they pour all that they have into ministry and have nothing left over for their wife and kids. Some people just love being relied on and needed and overwork themselves thinking that there's nobody else that can do as good a job as they can. I think one of the surest signs of someone who has contentment in their work is that they know how to rest. They're able to rest. 
Hey, listen, I, I absolutely love my job. I wake up before my alarm clock. I spring out of bed every Monday morning, excited to come to work. I, I love it. But I also really love hanging out with my wife and going to the beach and vacations and times of rest. And sometimes people, they'll find themselves in the other place where they're in just a tough spot, a tough line of work. I have a tough job. And when you're in a, when you're in a rough work environment, there can maybe be this tendency to complain about it just a little bit, right? Sometimes. And maybe to some extent, a little bit of venting is natural and, and is okay. But if you're in that kind of work environment, you gotta be really, really careful. You gotta be careful not to let discontentment grab a hold of your heart. You gotta ask yourself, okay, God, why have you given me this toilsome work to do? What do you want me to do here? What is your purpose for this? And sometimes God places you in, in a kind of dark spot because He wants you to shine. He, he needs a light there. And listen, no matter where you work, no matter where it is, there's going to be difficult people and there's going to be difficult tasks. There's going to be challenges. I mean, just look at poor Alan. He has to go to work every day and work with me. <laughs> like, no matter where you're at, it's going to be tough. If you have a job, you're blessed. If you're going to work, it's because God has something that he wants you to do there. And that thing that he wants you to do there isn't just about whatever the job description is. It's broader than that, right? It's not just about selling insurance or, or about teaching fifth graders or about welcoming people to Walmart. It's, it's deeper than those things. God wants you to demonstrate your faith and to show grace and to love others and to work as though you're working for God and not for men. Then we get to go home to our average-sized homes and to our families and to our pets and just rest contented in another day of work that's been a gift from God. That, that's a blessing. And this kind of contentment that we can show with our wealth and with our work, the, the result is a life, uh, an entire life of contentment and rest. Let me read the rest of chapter 5, starting in verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them and to accept His lot and rejoice in His toil, this is the gift of God. He will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. I think maybe those two verses are really the, the heart of the entire sermon. This right here really is the secret to the meaning of life. I mean, this is, this is like the peak that he's been climbing up to and then everything else from here is going to be centered around this. And, and, and this isn't, this isn't some sort of like anti, uh, wealth, pro poverty message. The truth that he's given here, the encouragement that he's giving here, it's, it's for rich people and poor people alike. Because both can become discontented. This is about being contented with whatever your lot in life is, with whatever God has given you. 
praising him and rejoicing in him because of it. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. And God keeps that person occupied with joy in his heart. I don't know about you, but that sounds great. That sounds amazing. That sounds like a good life. How do we do that? How do we take a hold of this gift that God says He wants to give us of the ability to rightly view our wealth and to be content in our work? How do we acquire this joy during our days on this earth? And the secret is finding our hope and our joy and our contentment in Jesus Christ and nothing else. It has to do with how we view and how we use the things that we've been given by God. We're to view them as good gifts from His hand and we're, we're to use them in ways that help and serve others. We are to be good stewards of whatever it is God has given us. I think Paul maybe gives the best answer to how we take hold of this life of peace and contentment. And I don't know, I feel like he's, he just got done reading this passage in Ecclesiastes when he says these words. I read part of it earlier, but I'm going to read the larger context in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you can read that, then wow. <laughs> Verses 6-19, through 19, it says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. That sounds familiar. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Here Paul restates what we just read about in Ecclesiastes, that the love of money will hurt us. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Hold fast to Jesus Christ and that profession of faith that you've made in Him. He says, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in His testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, 
but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That's it. That's, that's the secret. That's the secret to the meaning of life. Be content with your wealth, content in your work, content with your lot in life, and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. And the God of all grace will bless you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the reminder that we need. Because so often we, we flail around and we throw tantrums and we're discontent because we think that we need or want certain things. But God, You remind us that You are all that we need. That You have given us so many good things. And God, I ask, I pray for, for me and for everyone in this room that You would give us that gift that You talked about in this passage, that, that gift of the ability to enjoy our work, to be content with what You've given us, to find rest and peace with our lot in life. Help us to be people who hold fast to Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Help us to be people who use everything that You've given us for your glory and your honor. Thank you again, God, for this perspective. Lord, we need it. Help us not to forget it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.